wondering um, how I'm doing after having to exit the pulpit last week with a coughing fit. Uh, I'm doing much better after uh, calling for uh, antibiotics. I've been on antibiotics since Monday, and um, hopefully I won't have to do the coughing thing again. Um, but thank you for your patience during that time. Let us pray. Oh God, as this word is, is given and explicated and heard and listened to, may it free us from all of the constraints that we use to keep us from fully living into your way and your love. In Christ's name, amen. This text for the morning is one that you've heard around here a lot, um, for a good reason that I'll get to, but I, I think I've already preached from it once. It's from the gospel, from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It's about the calling of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, hear the word as it comes to us. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So... Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him and Sarah. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Um, there's an ancient Midrash story. Midrash it was what rabbis came up with when they're sitting around talking about Torah, the scripture. And the joke is that wherever you have two rabbis together, you'll have at least five different opinions, which, by the way, is often said about Presbyterians. And the story is, as they're talking about this passage about Abraham, and they're also remembering the passage about Noah and the flood, they, that Noah when the flood was over and the ground had finally dried up, Noah said to himself, since I only entered the ark with God's permission, then I must leave the ark with God's permission. So, Noah, so God says to Noah in Genesis 8:16, are you looking for permission? Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. I give you permission. Part of the commentary from these ancient rabbis, Maimonides was one of them, by the way, the, the 12th century amazing mystic rabbi who wrote the words to our first hymn this morning. Um, part of the commentary comes out and says, uh, the pat rabbi says, if I had been Moses, if I had been there, I would have smashed the door down of the ark and taken myself, my family, and all the animals out way before God's permission. And so the, injurious, the Jewish interpretation is that since Noah waited to get permission, God chose instead to begin the story of the Jewish people with Abraham. 
Genesis says, says, Genesis says God, excuse me, Genesis says Noah walked with God, but Abraham walked on ahead of God. And I think this morning's passage reveals that when God comes to us like God did to Abraham and says, go from your father's house to the land that I will show you, that through faith, God will be with us in that going, and through hope, God will open the way for us and that we can step into a future without being afraid and seeing it more as an adventure than a risk. If that's true, we are walking ahead of God, not waiting for God to catch up. I've said earlier to many, including uh, this church, probably at least once already, that there's a great book about how important this is by, by Thomas Cahill in his book, The Gift of the Jews. And he makes the case that this morning's passage in Genesis 12 is the birth of, uh, with Abraham hearing God's voice call and believe his father's house, is the birth of history as we understand it in civilization today. That in, in God's calling Abraham, he's calling Abraham to knock the doors down on the past and to step out into the future in faith and with hope. Knock them down. And this is the ground of what it means to be a pioneer, to do something new, to take the road less traveled. It's the, it's the word for venture or adventure, to, to, to step out into an unknown, certain, uh, unknown future, uncertain future. Our country was founded on it. Every venture is founded on it. It takes courage to try things new, to invest in this future, to be entrepreneurs, and along with freedom and democracy, it gives us the ability, the ability to do it. But it wasn't always this way. Before Abraham, 3,000 years or so ago, there was no sense of history. There was no lineal sense of past, present, future. The world and all that came in it was understood circularly. The moon waxed and waned. The sun rose and fell. The seasons came and went over and over again. Everything was circular. Nothing was new. There was no understanding of something new in history because where you were in your caste system or where you were by birth or race or whatever way you're judged, that's where you stayed. There was no movement linearly or hierarchically. But when Abram hears this voice, Abraham Here's this voice from God saying to go out into a land that I will show you. He hears in that an uncertain future with a hope and a future that is better than the present. And they went. They broke the doors down on the patriarchal familial connections that Abraham lived in at that point. And they went. They left their father's house and civilization as we know it was born. Really, the whole Bible is about this, about how God calls us to live in a new world, a new vision, a new land, a new possibility with faith and hope, starting with the beginning to the end. 
A faith that holds us accountable, really, to step out of all the tomb, smelly-like arcs that we choose to live in our lives that we just don't want to leave, to step out of it, to knock the doors out of it, and to go out in faith and hope for a new possibility. In this sense, then, Abram and Sarah were the original Trekkies. For those who don't know what a Trekkie is, that's a Star Trek Trekkie, where it says, space the final frontier to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, all new civilizations in spite of the split infinitive, to boldly go where no one has gone before, or man, right? It's exactly what Abram and Sarah did. This is what faith is all about for Jews and Christians, to knock the doors down of all the things that hold us stasis without moving. Knowing that even if we go and end up in the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for God will find us there. It took faith to challenge those natural religions, the circular religions of the world embedded in the great empires of the day. It took faith to follow Moses out of Egypt into the promised land. It took faith to remain Jewish during a Hellenistic age of reason and rationality and spirituality which was not connected to the material but connected only up into the seventh heaven. It took, it took faith, a movement in time and history and, 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 into the, and into a future of an unknown future to step into for the Jews and they understood then that as long as they keep their feet on the ground and moving they are living accordingly as long as they're moving in the direction of God's love and justice remember this is why so many Jews you know 0.2% of the world's population are Jews over half of the Nobel Peace Prize winners are Jewish. Maybe this is why so many Jews dominate the fields of psychiatry and science and physics and Hollywood and economics because, because from Abraham they began to understand that what it means to live in life is an in looking into an uncertainty of the future and to step into it nevertheless because they feel called by God to a new adventure. Take Einstein. I'm listening to the autobiography of Albert Einstein in my car. Uh, Walter Isaacson wrote it, and it's fascinating. Um, he considered himself an outsider. He was Jewish by race, but not by religion so much, although he, he wasn't an atheist. Um, he considered himself sort of an independent sort, and he was. He went against the grain, nonconformist. And when he came up with the famous theory of relativity, um, he was way ahead of every other physicist around. He was laughed at and scorned. Um, but he was such a maverick, that only confirmed the fact that he was in the, going in the, down the right path. 
And he refused to go along with all of those others who said that, that they were right because he knew himself right. And, and he risked stepping into this cosmic unknown. The whole world would then be changed by it. This cosmic unknown because for 300 years, Isaac Newton had said mathematically the formula fits that the world is mechanistic and God made it in a mechanistic order around gravity and space and time. It's a certainty formed around the foundation of physics and mathematics, Newton said. And Einstein believed it. In fact, to his death, he believed it, ironically, even though he came up with the theory of relativity. And, and for those who believed it, you don't get out of order. You don't step out of, 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 of what we already know and do. But Einstein did. And he came up with this, this new theory that says, you know what, um, the mathematics don't really work when it comes to space-time because gravity seems to bend time and space depending on the size of the object that space and time uh, are trying to bypass. And they only finally figured it out uh, during an eclipse. Uh, all the math worked during the eclipse of, I think, 1914, uh, when they saw that, in fact, the, the stars were lined up slightly differently uh, because of the physics. And that, that was the proof they needed. It caused a huge crisis. I mean, he was like this huge deal all over the world. It went in New York Times about 50,000 times. It was major print. Comes up with the theory of relativity. Um, uh, and because it changed the whole conception. Wait a minute, maybe, maybe, maybe the universe isn't so well-ordered and so mathematically true. Uh, and from that came this crisis of faith, it turns out, in science and in religion and in culture. So after the 2015, excuse me, 1915 paper uh, came the First World War, chaos. And after that came the Roaring Twenties. From my understanding, it's sort of a loss of moral order. And out of that came Hitler in the early 30s. Out of that came the sense that, well, if things aren't so objectively understood, then that means everything is subjective, and that means there are no absolute certainties, truth there for. Uh, and the great historian Paul Johnson said, it formed a knife to help cut society adrift from the traditional moorings. We get Picasso from that. We get Stravinsky and modernism. Still, I, Einstein hated the concept of relativism. That's not what he was saying, especially when it comes to morality, although he was not the most moral person in the world when it comes to his um, dallying in uh, extramarital affairs. Um, he did have his own moral order. All he wanted to do was confirm Newton's theories, and ironically, he ended up questioning them, which then led through Einstein to what's now known as postmodernism or quantum physics, which says it's way beyond our understanding. We don't even know how it works. In our trying to look at how it works, 
We change the equation of how it works, so we can't even get a tab on it. A lot of it's just chance. And Einstein fought against that to his death, too. But still, it was the young Jewish scientists, Niels Bohr and Walter Heisenberg, who came up with what's now known as the uncertainty principle. Then the Hubble telescope blows our socks off, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> right? About how large the universe is compared to what we thought, and the galaxies and how many stars, and that ain't nothing compared to what the Webb, excuse me, that's not nothing, compared to what the Webb telescope is now revealing. All that we understood to be fixed now is no longer. We have to go back to the drawing board because science is revealing a greater and greater mystery about creation. Now this is startling. It reminds me of a conversation I had with a man who was at a baptism. He was the father of the father of the child being baptized. He was a Harvard professor of ast astrophysics. I mean, yeah. and, and we immediately hit it off sitting around the table, you know, having our little post-baptismal meal at their house, and I'm asking about stuff, and I said, what is your hope that, that the Harvard astrophysics uh, professors will, will learn new in the, next, in the next few years? And without missing a moment and a smile, he said, humility. What he was saying is confirming the fact that we may think we know stuff, but the more we know, the less we know. Humility. The book of Hebrews says this is what faith is about, stepping out in humility without the assurance of things hoped for, right? And the conviction or Knowledge of things not seen. Stepping out in faith. It says, by faith, Abram, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. That's important, because if you live in tents, what does that mean? You're always moving, not, not in, a, in a concrete house. He lived in tents, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, the architect of God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered God faithful, who had made the promise to go. And so from this one man, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And all these people were living by faith when they died, they did not receive the things promised. They didn't. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. For children of Abraham, that's Jews, Christians, and Muslims, almost 60% of the population of the world, faith is built on the back of this story about seeing life as adventure 
about stepping out into an unknown future, about being open to change and new understanding, about being moved out of the rigid safety vehicles that we choose to live our lives in, to be open. Noah waited for permission. Abram went on ahead. It's a scary thing to break down those doors, to knock them down. It's a scary thing because there are a lot of doors. Grief, anger, resentment, cynicism, apathy. A lot of doors that we live behind. And God says, knock them down and walk through them, even though it feels like the valley of the shadow of death. That's the only way through. Knock them down into an unknown future. Hebrews in 12th chapter says, therefore, you ready for this? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin, talk about a door, and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Let us come to the table knowing that it is the nourishment for our journey out, out into a new world of faith and hope. One last thing. You're about to enter that world. The doors have been knocked down. Alan has left. You are in process of determining what your map will look like and who, and who one of the people in your journey will be. It is going to be a new world of uncertainty and unknowing for that person as well as for you. Remember this story. That's exactly where God wants you to be as you learn and grow together new things. Let us now lift up the gifts of our lives and our labors by bringing forth our offerings.